Welcome to Hashtag History. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And if you are a history nerd, or even if you are a history hater, this is the podcast for you. Even if history was your least favorite subject in school, we can guarantee you will like this podcast because we talk about all the things that your history textbooks did not. That's things like how Ted Kennedy drove his car off a bridge and was able to escape the car but left a woman inside to die and didn't report it until a day later. Or how the pharaoh Akhenaten was so disliked by Egyptians that they literally purged his name from nearly all of their records and pretended like he never existed. Or how the FBI had a file on Frank Sinatra that was 2,000 pages long. Or even how on opening day at Disneyland, it was so hot and the pavement had been so recently poured that women's heels sunk into it. And we do all of this while drinking a custom-made cocktail specific to that week's episode. So grab a drink, take a seat, and hang out with us each week as we learn all about history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Hashtag history can be found on all major podcast platforms, and that's hashtag spelled out, hashtag history. We can also be found on Instagram at hashtag history underscore podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It has been about a month since my last episode. I appreciate everybody being cool with the fact that I took a little bit of a break. But I got a pretty awesome episode for you today. It's a very special request episode, which I will get to here in a minute. But first and foremost, I got to thank Patreon subscribers, Aurora Jordan, Laura Mills, Amber, Sam Farrell, Nikki Cropper, Heather Fishburne, Julie Bamer, Patrick Austin, Caitlin, Jennifer Napier, Katie Clunan, Sarah Trice, Angela Shiplov, Joseph H., and Liz Bradley. Also, Venmo. Thank you for the donations on there. Lissette Shields, Jeff Mills, Tom Brino, and then I had uh, somebody who wanted to remain anonymous, and thank you all very much. I appreciate it. If you want to do a one-time donation on Venmo, you can find me at MC Podcast. If you would like to subscribe to Patreon, we do three episodes a month on there. There's a $2, a $5, and a $10 tier. Um, you can find it at patreon.com slash mysterious circumstances. Uh, I will not read reviews after this because it is a very special episode for, for a very special dude. And, uh, I have a lot of reviews to read, including a couple one stars. I will definitely get to that at the end of my next episode. So here we go. To millions around the world, the name Bruce Lee looms larger than ever. Magazines continue to print articles about him. Fan clubs are devoted to him and his martial arts philosophy continues to attract a growing number of devoted followers. People remember him for being powerful beyond measure, you know, for being limitless, for standing for things when people crucified him. The idea is running water never grows stale, so you gotta just keep on flowing. He was a braggart in a way, but he never bragged about anything that he wasn't capable of. All type of knowledge ultimately means self-knowledge. Bruce Lee was just a symbol of, of, of everything that every little boy wanted to be. He was not just a fighter. Bruce was a philosopher and a teacher. I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. Now you put water into a cup, 
it becomes the cup. You put water into a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot, it becomes the teapot. Now water can flow, or it can crash. Be water, my friend. All right, so let me offer a little bit of explanation for this episode and why it is dedicated and for one person. Obviously, everybody gets to listen, but while I'm doing this episode, I need you guys to understand that I am specifically going to be talking to a young man by the name of Adler on this episode. And how this started was back in August... Some of the rioters in Chicago decided to start going after the uh, Ronald McDonald house because, well, people are assholes, you know, and that's how it goes sometimes. And Adler was not able to go and uh, receive his his cancer treatments. Okay, so I'm reading this article. The woman who posted it was was his mom was your mom, Adler. And in the comments section, I said, I want to do something to try to cheer him up. Like, this is total shit. You know, this this isn't fair to anybody. And for those of you who do not know what the Ronald McDonald house is, quick Google search will tell you all you need to know and why I was just completely dumbfounded as to why people would attack that kind of establishment. So I told your mom in the comments, I said, just, I said, ask him if he wants an episode. Like, I, I know he probably doesn't listen to this podcast very often. And, and obviously Elizabeth is a, is a longtime listener. And I said, I want to, I want to just try to cheer him up. So I said, ask him what he wants me to cover. And she comes back and says, he wants to know about Bruce Lee. I said, well, shit, I don't know anything about Bruce Lee. So it's a win-win for me and everybody because I get to learn. He gets to learn. It's going to be awesome. The timing of which. I know I haven't put out an episode in a month, da-da-da, you know, I had to rearrange some stuff, all this other shit, whatever. And by the way, your mom told me that I am allowed to cuss because you hear her cussing all the time, but I'm still going to try to refrain where I can. Sometimes it slips, though. So check this out for all you other listeners. Here's why Adler is a little badass. Adler was diagnosed with inoperable brain cancer at four years old. The doctors said that he probably wouldn't live another year. The other day, Adler celebrated his 11th birthday, and he also has a spinal fusion surgery coming up here in the next couple weeks as well. So this episode is so appropriate and so awesome because Bruce Lee was an amazing guy, and he was not only a martial artist, but he was a philosopher. And when you hear about some of his life and some of his struggles, you're going to understand why you picked one of the best episodes ever. So what I also went and did was I made a post in my Facebook group and I said, hey, I said, there's this dude named Adler. He's He's got some shit going on. He requested a Bruce Lee episode, but I want you guys, if you're willing to send me voice messages to offer, you know, words of encouragement. The coolest part was, is I, <laughs> I had a lot of messages and you're going to hear them throughout the episode. Every now and then I'm going to throw a couple of them in. And I mean, we got people from Australia that sent you messages, dude, Louisiana, just people from California, Nevada, all over the place. So I just want you to know that even though you don't think so, there are people pulling for you that you don't even know exist, man. 
And it's because you wake up every single day and you kick ass and you keep moving forward. And to me, that is simply amazing. And actually, before we get started, you're going to hear some voice messages right now. Hi, Adler. My name is Tiffany, and I can't wait to hear the episode that you chose. That's an awesome topic. I listen to Justin's show a lot, too, and I heard about you, and I just wanted to let you know that, you know, things will get better. I grew up with a lot of health issues. Um, Just keep your chin up. Know that people are out here rooting for you. His whole entire listening populace is rooting for you, and we can't wait to hear how you're doing. So just hang in there, keep smiling, and I promise things will get better. What the heck about you? Uh, enjoy the episode. Hello, Adler. This is Eve Dallas from Louisiana. I'm so excited to listen to your podcast request. We are thinking of you, and we're so excited to join you. Have a great day. All right, now we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, One of the main sources for this information is a book called Bruce Lee, A Life, and uh, it was written by Matthew Polly, and it it is considered the definitive biography of Bruce Lee, and there's tons of information. In all honesty, Wikipedia has uh, a lot of stuff cited by him as well, which which was super helpful, so... Bruce Lee was born on November 27, 1940, at the Chinese hospital in Chinatown, San Francisco. He was born in America. Now, according to the Chinese Zodiac, Lee was born in both the hour and the year of the dragon, which, according to the tradition, is a a very strong and good omen. Now, Bruce's father was a guy named Li Hai Chan, and he was Han Chinese, uh, and his mother was a woman named Grace Ho, and she was of Eurasian descent. Li and his parents ended up returning to Hong Kong when he was only about three months old. Li's Cantonese birth name was Li Jun Fan. And uh, that meant return again, and it was given to Li by his mother, who felt that he would eventually return to the United States, you know, once he became old enough or whatever. You know, his mother was also very superstitious, and she had originally named him uh, Siphon, which which is a, it's a very feminine name, and it meant small phoenix. Now, the English name Bruce was given to him by a hospital-attending physician by the name of Dr. Mary Lover. Now, Lee also had three other Chinese names, one of which was Lee Yun Cham, which was a family and clan name, Lee Yun Kam, which was used, uh, which he used as a student name while he was attending LaSalle College, and then his Chinese screen name was Lee Xiaolong which uh, Shaolong means little dragon. So a little bit about his family, okay? His father, he was a leading Cantonese opera and film star. Li Hai Chan actually was touring the United States for a lot, a lot of years and performing in a lot of Chinese communities while he was there. A lot of the family decided to stay in the in the U.S. Li Hai Chan returned to Hong Kong, like I said, about three months after Bruce Lee was born. And within months of them getting there, Hong Kong was invaded. And the Lees ended up living for three years and eight months under Japanese occupation. So after the war ended... Uh, Bruce Lee's father resumed his acting career and became a very popular actor during 
the time where Hong Kong was rebuilding. Lee's mother, Grace Ho, was from one of the wealthiest and most powerful clans in Hong Kong, which were the uh, Ho Tungs. She was a half-niece of Sir Robert Hotung. He was a Eurasian patriarch of the clan. Okay, so young Bruce Lee actually grew up in a very affluent and privileged environment. He was very well taken care of. He had every opportunity that could be given to somebody. Despite all this, okay, the neighborhood in which Bruce Lee grew up became very overcrowded and very, very dangerous. And it started just getting filled with a bunch of gangs. And because uh, there was a lot of refugees coming from communist China into Hong Kong. And uh, this is when Hong Kong at the time was a British colony, all right? So in 2018, like I said, the biographer Matthew Polly identifies Lee's maternal grandfather as Ho Kam Tong, who had, uh, who had often been reported as his adoptive grandfather. Ho's father, Moses Hardog Bozeman, he was a Dutch Jewish businessman from Rotterdam. Now, he ended up moving to Hong Kong with the Dutch East India Company and served as a Dutch consul in Hong Kong at one point in time. Uh, he, he did have a Chinese concubine named uh, Zitai, uh, with whom he had six children, and that would be including Ho Kam Tong. Bozeman subsequently abandoned his family and uh, immigrated to California. He's like, eh, you know, I'm out. Ho Kam Tong ended up becoming a a very wealthy businessman, and he had a wife, 13 concubines, and a British mistress who gave birth to Grace Ho, which was Bruce Lee's mom. So Bruce Lee is actually part Hun Chinese, part Dutch Jewish, and part English. And this would present a lot of problems for him in the future. Bruce Lee is not the only famous person in his family. Like, his younger brother, Robert Lee Jun Fai, is a very notable musician and singer, and his group was called the Thunderbirds. They were very famous in Hong Kong. They had a, f a few of his singles were sung in English, okay? And, uh, and like I said, Lee's father was a very famous Cantonese opera star. Because of this and because of his father's acting, Bruce Lee was introduced into films when he was very, very young. And a lot of people do not realize that Bruce Lee was a child star. He was a child actor. He had his first role when he was a baby, and he was carried on stage in a film called Golden Gate Girl. And uh, he was only two months old at the time. And it was filmed in San Francisco. I was pretty surprised to learn, and I thought it was pretty funny. Bruce Lee actually played a little girl in that film. His stage name was Lee Zilong. And I hope I pronounced that right. I asked my friend Rebecca a lot of the uh, pronunciations for the Chinese names. And uh, she messaged me back on a couple of them. She's like, that's Cantonese, dude. I, I don't know. That's different. So I'm trying my best here. I'm sorry I'm butchering this language. Bruce Lee was a fire element, okay? He had a very short temper. He was a very angry dude. He was very fiery, he was very hyperactive, and he was literally called the Little Dragon, and that uh, that became his symbol, and why he later wanted to name his movies, like, Enter the Dragon, because that's pretty much who he was. And like I said, because he was born in America, and because of some of his uh, ethnicity, he faced a lot of discrimination when 
they went back to Hong Kong because he was not 100% Chinese. So it was pretty hard for him at times. And you're going to see like Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee was a bad little dude, man. He was a troublemaking kid, right? He almost nearly died during the Japanese occupation of Hong Kong during World War II as well. Uh, there was a cholera epidemic, and he had to fight just to live, man, from the time he was just a little baby. And his father also ended up becoming an opium addict. And uh, it was it was honestly pretty common for Chinese opera stars, which is what his father was, and they would all smoke opium, you know, it was very common. But, uh, you know, Bruce's teenage years, the addiction, his father's addiction, like, kind of, you know, messed with Bruce a little bit. It caused him to distrust authority on a certain level because he didn't trust his father or he, you know, he had very complicated feelings towards his father because of that addiction in 1950 as a nine-year-old he would co-star with his father in a movie called the kid and this was based on a comic book character and was his first leading role by the time he was 18 he had appeared in 20 films and like i had mentioned bruce lee had a very troubled childhood and not in the way you would think like I said, he was growing up in the 50s in Hong Kong. It's a it's a refugee camp run by British businessmen. Okay, so there are millions and millions of Chinese refugees fleeing the war. The revolution in China, you know, and the streets of Hong Kong are a very dangerous place to be at this time. You know, there were triads. There were all kinds of gangs and shit. And the police were also very extremely corrupt and there was like i said a lot of gang activity and bruce just kind of imitated what was going on around him that's how the author matthew polly described it and to be honest with you it, it does make a lot of sense because of his surroundings bruce lee starts getting in all these street fights okay like him and his buddies are fighting British gangs. All this shit is going on, okay? They would not just fist fight, all right, Adler? They would pull out brass knuckles, chains, knives, all kinds of shit. And they would not fight on the street. They would take it to the rooftops, dude, because they had more privacy up there. They're like, if we go up to this rooftop, you know, ain't nobody gonna bother us. Shit you not, man. Bunch of little teenage kids running up to these rooftops. Brass knuckles, chains, knives, just straight up gang fights. And Bruce Lee was right into the middle of it, man. And because of some of these fights, Bruce Lee's first introduction into some martial arts was from his father. And it was very fundamental stuff. It was the Wu style, Tai Chi, stuff like that. And in 1952, Lee entered the primary school division of the Catholic LaSalle College. And this was at the age of 12 years old. Like I said, the dude did not like authority at a very young age. And when he gets into this school, you know, he has Catholic people trying to trying to boss him around, trying to tell him what to do. And straight up, like one of the uh, the stories about him is that he got kicked out of LaSalle College and nobody knew why for a very, very long time. And this author that I had mentioned he went over there and actually interviewed classmates and people who were still alive, and nobody would would admit what happened for the longest time because after one of Bruce Lee's gym teachers uh, hit him, Bruce Lee pulled out a knife on the dude. 
All right. And then that didn't really get him kicked out, but he did a prank on one of his classmates. Pretty much. He just made everybody pretty mad when he pulled that prank. And then of course he pulled out his knife on a, on a gym teacher. So they kicked his ass right out of school, man. The thing about uh, Bruce Lee learning martial arts, specifically Kung Fu, was that uh, he was already a tough kid. Like I said, man, this dude was throwing down in the rooftops with chains and brass knuckles and shit, fighting other gangs. And the thing about Kung Fu was it was a very low and not very respected martial art at the time. And how Bruce Lee got into it is he met a classmate um, or it was a friend of his, a guy named William Chang. The thing about William was that he was a lot better at fighting than Bruce Lee was. And this really just drove Bruce Lee crazy because he was a, he was a perfectionist and he wanted to be the best person. He wanted to be a leader. You know, he wanted to set the pace. So he found out that William Chung studied Wing Chung Kung Fu under the master Yip Man, who is very, very famous now for all of these movies in Hong Kong. And actually, I think on Netflix, there's uh, some Yip Man uh, movies on there, okay? And it's pretty funny because Bruce Lee's older brother, right? He was uh, he was an A student. He was absolutely just, you know, the whole family was like, oh, you know, Peter's so great. And then you got Bruce, who's like this rebellious troublemaker, and even though he was a troublemaker, Bruce still respected his parents quite a bit. And he would a lot of times hide things from them that uh, he knew he would get in trouble for. So he never told his parents that he was studying Wing Chun until they finally found out. And then they blew up on him. And there was this huge argument about it. And uh, Bruce said to his father, I'm not a good student, but I'm good at fighting. I'm going to use fighting to make a name for myself. And of course, like, at this point in time, Bruce Lee is 16, okay? And Bruce Lee, like, recognized what he was good at. And he's like, I'm going to use this. This is what I know how to do. This is what I'm good at. This is what I'm going to try to strive to be the best at. So in late 1956, early 1957, when he is 16 years old, Bruce began training in Wing Chun, like I said, when he was about 16 years old, and he trained with Yip Man because he straight up, man, he was tired of losing to, like, rival gang members. <laughs> Honestly, like, the fact that Bruce Lee was, like, a street fighter, man, fighting other gangs and shit all growing up while he's a child actor, craziest shit ever, right? So, the one of the funniest things about when Bruce Lee starts studying is that Yip Man was the master, okay? And there was another guy named Wong Shun Lung, and he was the guy who taught, like, uh, the beginner's class, okay, that Bruce Lee was in. And it was funnier and shit because that Wong dude was straight up said, the first time I met Bruce Lee was the first day he showed up, and the first thing he asked me was, how long will it be until I am better than you? And... That is the coolest shit either because, like, as anybody who teaches others, to have a student be that forward and that direct, it's like, okay, you out of your damn mind, kid. But at the same time, that was Bruce Lee, man. He was intense. He was dead set on being the best because he knew what he was good at and he was going to be the best at it. So while he's in these classes, the teachers are encouraging the students to 
stop getting into street fights and basically start fighting in organized competitions. So after a year into the Wing Chun training, a lot of Yip Man's other students would not train with Bruce Lee because they learned that he was not 100% Chinese. They, they heard he had mixed ancestry, so they refused to train with him. Okay, and the Chinese were generally against teaching martial arts techniques to non-Asians. You had to be 100% Asian. So a lot of these dudes would not train with Bruce. So the thing about Bruce Lee was Yip Man picked him up, okay? And one of uh, one of the sparring partners that Bruce Lee had when he was younger, a guy named uh, Hawkins, he straight up said, Fewer than six people in the whole Wing Chun clan were personally taught or even partially taught by Yip Man himself. And Bruce Lee was one of those people. So Leash showed the huge interest in Wing Chun, okay? And uh, he was training privately with Yip Man. And he was also training with uh, the other trainer as well. And some of the other people who would train with them noticed that uh, when Bruce Lee was sparring the other instructor, the guy named Wong Shun Ling, they noticed that Bruce Lee was very, very fast. He had absolute speed. He had precision. Like his, his speed and kicks and hits were just on point. And Bruce Lee just kept continuing to train and train and train. And this is after a year. And one of the things that uh, on the documentary that I was watching about some of this is that Bruce Lee, a lot of people think that he started very, very young in martial arts and he dedicated his entire life to it, which he did eventually. But he was a natural. He had a natural gift. Like when he saw a movement or some kind of martial art technique, he would try it once or twice and he would have it down perfectly. And he was just born to do this, you know. While all that's going on in 1956, due to poor academic performance and possibly poor conduct, he was transferred to St. Francis Xavier's College where he would be mentored by uh, Brother Edward and he was a teacher and coach at the school boxing team. So, two years later... Bruce Lee won Hong Kong School's boxing tournament because he uh, he ended up knocking out the previous champion in the final. And also, <laughs> a lot of people do not know, Bruce Lee was a champion cha-cha dancer. He won Hong Kong's Crown Colony Cha-Cha Championship in 1958. The dude had moves, okay? So, in the spring of 1959... Bruce Lee got into another street fight, and the police were called this time. And what happened was Bruce Lee ended up beating up the wrong person. He ended up beating up the son of a triad family, which is like a uh, organized crime family. So one of the things Bruce Lee used to do when he would get into these fights, right, is he would wear really traditional clothing in westernized Hong Kong, and if someone looked at him funny or made fun of him or said something about his clothing, that's when he would just automatically pick a fight with this person. He just didn't care. He would literally instigate fights if he could. And um, like I said, this eventually would get him kicked out of Hong Kong. He started so many street fights with random strangers that the police came around to his mother one day and said, if you don't calm him down, we're going to throw him in jail. 
That combined with him beating the hell out of an organized crime figure's child did not work, okay? So eventually, Bruce Lee's father decided that uh, maybe his kid should leave Hong Kong, you know, and uh, he's like, you know what, go, you need to go to the United States, dude. You need to pursue more than what we can offer here. You know, obviously, you got a reputation. <laughs> you need to get out of Dodge, man. So, like I said, all this fighting combined with the fact that he possibly had a contract out for his life for beating up an organized crime figure's kid, they were threatening to th start throwing him in jail if he kept screwing around. So in April of 1959, Bruce Lee's parents decided to send him to the United States to stay with his older sister, Agnes Lee, and she was already living there with uh, family friends in San Francisco. So after, uh, you know, several months, he moved in uh, to Seattle in 1959. He continued and got his high school education, and he was working for uh, Ruby Chow as a live-in waiter at her restaurant. And the kicker about it was he was expecting to be treated like, like an honored guest, you know, because he's a child fucking film star, and he's a cha-cha champion, a boxing champion. Dude's been studying martial arts and excelled in them. But that was not the case, man. His father was like, man, I spoiled this kid growing up. Because Bruce Lee's father was raised very, very poor. So he thought that Bruce Lee needed to get taken down a peg or two. So he told Ruby Chow to treat him like a washboy and a busboy. So Bruce ended up sleeping in a closet while he was working at this place, at this restaurant. And, uh, you know, he was washing dishes, busting tables. He was just doing the most, you know, degrading shit. Just sweeping floors, whatever. He's 18 years old. He's all alone. He's in America. And he's washing dishes, alright? But it worked. The way that his father had planned him to be, you know, a little bit more humble definitely worked. Um, he was scared that uh, he was not going to amount to anything. He was like, you know what? I'm going to try to make it in America. So the first thing he did when he got there is he started teaching dance classes. And he was uh, teaching them to, uh, to Chinese immigrants that were there. And he's, he's literally washing dishes for his room and board. He's sleeping in a closet underneath a staircase, for God's sakes. While he's teaching these dance classes, he's also doing like kung fu moves, right? So some of the Chinese people, the community, and uh, some of his students who were taking dance classes from him were like, man, this guy really knows Wing Chun really good. And they hadn't seen anything like that before. So Bruce Lee realized that he could make at least a part-time job out of teaching Kung Fu. So he, rather, he gathered like a, a group of uh, troubled kids from his high school. He's like, hey, you know, you're kind of a street fighter. Do you want to really learn how to fight? So he starts teaching these kids uh, Kung Fu. And one of the coolest things is that his first student was a guy named Jesse Glover, who was an African-American guy. And Bruce Lee was the first Kung Fu instructor to ever teach a black student, 
which was a real, real breakthrough racially because the Chinese community and the black community did not get along very well, okay? So he started expanding from Jesse Glover to the point where he had like a dozen students, okay? And they're all learning Wing Chun Kung Fu from Bruce Lee. And once he goes into college, he realizes that he wants to franchise a bunch of Kung Fu schools around the U.S., he realized that, hey, I can make an America if I do this. I can teach something that I know that I'm good at and I can franchise it and be, you know, set for life. And he actually called this martial art um, Jun Fan Gung Fu, which literally meant Bruce Lee's Kung Fu. And uh, it was his adaptation of Wing Chun that he had learned over in uh, Hong Kong. Hi, Adla. My name is Lila. I'm from Melbourne, Australia. Cancer sucks, but you could kick it in the butt. Hope you get better soon. Bye. Hi, Adler. My name is Kim, and I'm calling you all the way from the Ozark Mountains on a farm. And I wanted to wish you my very best thoughts and prayers and just know that we're thinking about you all the way up here even and we love you and we hope you feel better keep us posted on how you're doing and how you're feeling and so we can follow along with you you take care of yourself my man and you're in our thoughts and prayers so in december of 1960 Bruce Lee got his high school education. He got his diploma. Um, he graduated from Edison Technical School, which was on Capitol Hill in Seattle, Washington. And in March of 1961, Lee was enrolled at the University of Washington and studied dramatic arts, philosophy, psychology, and a bunch of other subjects. Lee's official major was drama. It was not philosophy. They found this out in 1999 when uh, there was an article printed in the university's alumni publication because before that, everybody thought that his major was philosophy, and it wasn't. It was drama. So while studying at the University of Washington, he ends up meeting his future wife, Linda Emery. Bruce Lee was a ladies' man, okay? He was, he was a good-looking guy. He was very, very charismatic, he was just the perfect amount of cocky. Like, he he didn't really overdo it. You know, he just had that perfect amount. And the fact that he was a dancer. I mean, dude, the guy won a cha-cha championship when he was 18 years old. Women love that kind of shit. You know what I'm saying? So he was going. And, uh, like, he, he was going out on a lot of dates and stuff, right? So how he actually met his wife is he was uh he had given a lecture at a high school where linda you know was attending and she had noticed him because he's a handsome guy right he was a very good dresser as well and she was very low-key and she's like oh man it's a big city guy blah 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 so she immediately had a crush on him and uh she went and found the kung fu school where he was teaching at the time and became one of his students and she actually studied martial arts from Bruce Lee before they even started dating, which is super awesome. The The tricky part about this relationship is that Linda's parents were dead set against their relationship. They did not want Bruce Lee dating their daughter, nor even marrying her, okay? Because you got to remember, like, it was illegal 
uh, in 17 states in America for members of two different races to get married. Didn't even change until 1967 or 68. They obviously were in love. Her mother was just like, you know, you're not going to be good enough. What are you going to do? How are you going to provide for my daughter? And I mean, her uncle said the same thing at one point in time. How are you going to provide for my niece? And he's straight up. He's like, I'm going to teach Kung Fu. <laughs> like, that's how I'm going to do it. But Linda and Bruce, they didn't care, man, because they were in love. They, it's a, it's a pretty awesome romantic story when you break it down. So because Linda knew her mother would not approve of them getting married, she she actually kept Bruce Lee a secret for almost a year. And uh, it wasn't until she got pregnant and then they went and tried to elope that they got caught. And uh, there was this huge family meeting where they tried to convince her not to marry this Chinese guy, right? But she just did not give a shit. She's like, I love this guy and I love him with everything I had. There was no way I was not going to marry this man. And it was, it's like I said, it's honestly romantic and it's super, super cool to find that out. So we're going to flash forward a couple years, okay? And this is in 1964, okay? Lee ends up dropping out of college and he moves to Oakland and he's living with a guy named James Yim Lee. And James Lee was 20 years older than Bruce Lee. And uh, he was a very well-known martial artist in in the area. And together they founded the second Jun Fan Martial Arts Studio in Oakland, California. In August of 1964, Bruce Lee ended up marrying Linda and uh, they ended up having two children together. They had Brandon, who was born in 1965. And for those of you who are fans of the movie The Crow, he was the star of that movie. And he passed away during filming of it in 1993. And then he also had a daughter named Shannon, who was born in 1969. This is where stuff starts getting really, really interesting. So we're still in 1964. And this guy named James Lee introduces Bruce to a guy named Ed Parker. Ed Parker is an American martial artist at this time, and he invites Bruce Lee to come to this thing called a Long Beach International Karate Championship, okay, and it's an, it's an invitational, right? So, Bruce Lee shows up there in 1964. Nobody knows who the hell he is until he starts doing push-ups with his one index finger and his thumb, okay? And straight up, the guy is doing them one-handed. He's got his feet shoulder-width apart, his thumb and his index finger, just pumping away one-handed push-ups, man, all day, right? All day. So then, Bruce Lee busts out this thing called the one-inch punch. Bruce Lee would stand upright, and he had his right foot forward, and he had his knees slightly bent. You know, he had a sta stationary person standing in front of him. And Bruce Lee's arm would be partially extended so that his right fist is about one inch away from, from the person's chest. And without retracting his arm, Bruce Lee would deliver the punch, okay, to this guy named Bob Baker. He didn't hardly even break his posture, like he still stood there straight up, right? So they put this chair behind Bob Baker I keep wanting to say Bob Barker because the damn price is right, but <laughs> they put this chair behind behind this Bob guy, and uh, you know they're like, okay, we don't want you falling backward and hurting yourself, so we're gonna put this chair behind you, you know, so you don't get hurt. And he was hit so hard, man, that he 
goes backward, hits the chair, and just keeps falling backward, like fell onto the ground, right? And Bob Baker later said, I told Bruce not to do this type of demonstration again. When he punched me that last time, I had to stay home from work because the pain in my chest was unbearable. That is how fucking strong Bruce Lee was, man, with a one-inch punch. And the trick was... He used his back foot and his hips to like push all this momentum forward and it was nobody had ever seen anything like that, let alone the fact this dude's doing like a hundred push-ups with his index finger and thumb one-handed, man, right? Bruce Lee was all about strength and your body being your temple and he wanted to have the perfect, he wanted to be the perfect physical specimen because he believed like if you're a martial artist, anything in life you got to be the best that you can be you know and one of the other things that everybody was noticing when bruce lee was there because like i said like nobody at this invitational had really known who he was right except for you know a handful of people this is how fast bruce lee was from a distance of one meter which is about 3.2 feet he could punch you in five tenths of a second just for reference it takes you 20 times longer than that to blink your eye. That is insane. <laughs> from from a distance of 5 feet, which is about 1.5 meters, he could punch you in 8 tenths of a second, alright, from 5 feet away. That's how fast he was, okay? Standard camera at the time shot at 24 frames per second. His strikes were not even visible on screen because they were so fast. It would be one frame and he had already hit somebody. When he was shooting TV shows and movies, they straight up said, Dude, you have to fight slower. We can't. The camera could not keep up with him. That's how fast he was. And usually when other people were in shooting fight scenes or whatever for movies and TV shows, they would have to speed the film up so that the actors look better. With Bruce, they would film at 32 frames a second, and then they would still have to go back and slow the film down because the camera could not capture how fast this guy was. <laughs> okay, He could, if you had your open hand and had a dime in it, Bruce Lee could replace the dime in your hand before you could close your fist. He would throw grains of rice in the air and catch them with chopsticks. He could punch a hole in a full can of Coke with his finger. Bruce Lee has the record for the fastest knockout from a punch, and it was 1.2 seconds. And he also has the fastest knockout kick at 86 miles an hour. This dude could literally kick you in the face at 86 miles an hour and the camera wouldn't even see it, man. Like, that is how amazing this freaking guy was. And people are just like, who in the fuck is this guy? Right? So, being a child star, okay, he he knew he was good at martial arts. So, he's like, you know what? Screw, screw movies, man. Like, I'm not even going to do this. I'm going to pursue martial arts. But, when he was at the exhibition in Long Beach in 64... It led to the invitation by a television producer named William Dozier. And uh, this is for an audition and a role in a pilot for uh, called Number One Son. And it was about Lee Chan, which was the son of Charlie Chan. And uh, the show never, never ended up happening, okay? It never materialized. But 
this guy William Dozier was like, "I'm you're gonna be in something. You're absolutely amazing, dude. We're gonna work something out for you." So, you know, at uh, at these 1964 championships, Bruce Lee met a Taekwondo master named uh, Jun Gu Ri. And uh, these two became friends very quickly, and uh, they benefited as martial artists from each other because Re taught Lee the sidekick, you know, that he would often use in a lot of um, a lot of his movies. Bruce Lee taught Re the non-telegraphic punch. Okay, this is what they called the acupunch. He learned this from Bruce Lee, and he and he incorporated it into American Taekwondo. The acupunch is a rapid, fast punch that is you can't really block, okay? And it's based on human reaction time. And basically, the idea is to finish the execution of the punch before the opponent can complete the brain-to-wrist communication. So basically, he's like, I'm going to teach you how to punch somebody faster than anybody's ever seen. Nobody will be able to block this shit, and it'll be deadly accurate. And that's what it came down to, right? So also while he's at this uh, 64 uh, karate championship, he meets a guy named Chuck Norris, okay? And he was a karate champion. Chuck Norris was already a karate champion at this point. In the movie Way of the Dragon, Bruce Lee actually introduced Chuck Norris. You know, he was uh, one of Bruce's opponents. And uh, their showdown in that movie, Way of the Dragon, has been said to be one of the best fight scenes in martial arts and film history. The role actually was first offered to a karate champion named Joe Lewis, but Chuck Norris ended up ended up getting that role. Hey, Adler, this is Jerry. And this is Tracy. We are the hosts of Hillbilly Horror Stories, and we understand that you're going through some treatment up in Chicago. We just want you to keep your head up and enjoy the episode that Justin's putting out on Bruce Lee for you. Bruce Lee is an awesome dude. Dude, he is an awesome, like, hiya! How's that? What, what a, no? Just pretend that that didn't happen. And, <laughs> and uh, keep your head up, Adler. We're all rooting for you, buddy. Yeah, praying for you, sweetheart. This is Roseanne all the way over here in hot as hell Las Vegas, Nevada. If you are listening to this, then you clearly have questionable taste. I'm just kidding. You totally have awesome taste in podcasts if you like shows with a kick-ass host who knows his stuff. I wanted to send you my well wishes, good thoughts, good vibes, prayers, whatever it is that you need to feel better, to get better, and to get the treatments that we know you need as quickly as possible. It takes a special kind of low life to do what the people in your community did that serve no purpose but to limit or take away altogether the essential health care that people such as yourself, as well as countless others, adults and children alike, really need. There is simply no justification for it, and I hope the community, the city of Chicago, the county, the state, whoever it takes does whatever it takes to fix this so you can be taken care of, so your health can be taken care of. You do indeed have a good friend in Justin, a great friend. He is always there for me whenever I'm feeling down or I need someone to talk to, and I'm so grateful for this thing called podcasting that has brought us all together. I wish you all the best. I hope that you are feeling okay. And I'm so looking forward to this special episode that Justin has created just for you. Take care, my friend. Now, here's the deal with, with Bruce, too, okay? He was teaching Kung Fu, Wing Chun, to people who were not Chinese. They were non-Asians. And this actually was a big problem. In 1964, in Oakland's Chinatown, 
Lee had a very controversial private match with a guy named Wong Jackman. What what they did was because Bruce Lee was teaching non-Asians, they sent some traditionalists to Bruce Lee's studio. Now, according to Bruce Lee, the Chinese community community told him when they showed up, and this is corroborated by his wife as well, they issued him an ultimatum. They said, stop teaching non-Chinese people. And they said, either shut down or throw down. And it was basically like, either shut down all your all your uh, studios, your dojos, whatever the case might be, shut them down now, or we fight right now. And Bruce Lee was like, well, I guess we're going to throw down then. <laughs> and uh, He got challenged to a fight with Wong. They held a fight at Bruce's school. And uh, the arrangement was that if Bruce Lee lost, he would have to shut down his school. And if he won, he would be free to teach white people or anyone else if he wanted to. Now, Wong denies this. And he said that he requested to fight Bruce Lee after Bruce Lee boasted during one of his demonstrations at a Chinatown theater that he could be anyone in San Francisco and that Wong himself did not discriminate against whites or other non-Chinese people. Bruce Lee commented, that paper had all the names of the Sifu from Chinatown, but they don't scare me. And here's some of the people who have witnessed this match, and this match is crazy, okay? Like, Linda Lee Caldwell, who is uh, Bruce Lee's widow, James Lee, who is uh, Bruce Lee's associate, which, you know, is no relation, we talked about him earlier, and a guy named William Chen, who was, uh, he was a teacher of uh, Tai Chi. So, Wong and William Chen stated that the fight lasted an unusually long 20 to 25 minutes. Wong claims that although he had originally expected a serious but polite bout, Bruce Lee aggressively attacked him with intent to kill. So, when Wong presented the traditional handshake, Bruce Lee appeared to accept the greeting, but instead, he allegedly thrust his hand as a spear aimed at Wong's eyes, and uh, Wong says he was forced to defend his life. Now, Wong asserted that uh, he refrained from striking Lee with killing force when the opportunity presented itself because it could have earned him a prison sentence. Now, the fight ended due to Lee's unusually winded condition as opposed to a decisive blow by one of the two fighters. Okay, now that is Wong and William Chen's version. Here's Bruce Lee, Linda Lee Caldwell, and James Yim Lee said, The fight lasted about three minutes with a decisive victory for Bruce Lee. In Caldwell's account, she said, The fight ensued. It was a no-holds-barred fight. It took three minutes. Bruce got the guy down on the ground and said, Do you give up? And the man said he gave up. And that was that. Now, you can you can believe whatever version you want, okay? Yeah, you have two different stories. But at the same time, Bruce Lee was still allowed to teach anybody he wanted. So, you know, there's that fact, right? So a couple weeks after this fight, uh, Bruce Lee gave an interview and he said uh, he had defeated an unarmed challenger. And Wong was like, why are you taking digs at me, man? Like, that's not even cool. So what Wong did was he published his own account of the fight in the Chinese Pacific Weekly. And uh, it was a Chinese language newspaper in San Francisco. And it was an invitation to a public rematch if Lee was not satisfied with Wong's 
account of the fight, you know, the 20 to 25 minutes and Bruce Lee being winded. And Bruce Lee, like, he didn't respond to the invitation, even though he had a reputation for responding to every single time he was provoked, like, violently. He would violently respond. It didn't matter. But there was no further public announcements by either person. And like I said, Bruce Lee did continue to teach white people. So there is that. Back to the fight. His wife said that after the fight... He was sitting on the back steps of the studio. She said that he was disappointed in himself for the fight lasting that long. And she was like, he kept telling me he should have beat him sooner. It shouldn't have lasted three minutes. So this is when Bruce Lee realized that he needed to be even better. Okay, and by 1965, he started developing his own style of martial art. And he was going to call it... Jeet Kune Do. And the thing about Jeet Kune Do was Bruce Lee wanted to specifically do a style of fighting that was straight and to the point and effective. And it was basically how to drop somebody or kill somebody with the least amount of effort. And that's when Jeet Kune Do started getting, you know, it's, it's ground legs right there. Now, while he's developing this, Bruce Lee was also a huge, huge boxing fan, and he started studying Muhammad Ali, started studying all his footwork, because he noticed that Muhammad Ali, his footwork was just perfect. He was so fast, he was very agile, he was tricky with his feet, and it would throw people off. So he he would sit and watch all these 8mm films for hours and hours, and he would study it, and he would also watch it backwards too. A couple of his friends said you would walk in there and Bruce Lee would be reading, stretching, and watching the 8mm films all at the same time. And Bruce Lee said at one point he wanted to fight Muhammad Ali. And it wasn't because obviously he wanted to see if he could beat him, but he highly respected Muhammad Ali. And he's like, I want to fight this guy. I want to see what he can do. I want to see what I can do. Because like I said, Bruce Lee started out boxing too. Like he was a boxing champion when he was 18 years old. So, you know, that obviously that never came to fruition, but that is a pretty cool fact right there. So then we start getting into some of the, some of the early TV shows. Okay. From 1966 to 1967, Bruce Lee played the role of Cato in the TV series, which was actually produced and narrated by William Dozier, who we had mentioned earlier, and it was called the Green Hornet. And it was based on a radio show by the same name, and the show only lasted one season. It was 26 episodes, and it ran from September of 66 to March of 67. And Lee and Williams uh, also appeared as their characters in three crossover episodes of Batman as well, which was also another William Dozier-produced television series. So this dude, William Dozier, when he had met him at that, uh, you know, earlier on in 64, he was like dead set on getting this dude on film. You know, he's like, you're you can be a star. And the thing that the Green Hornet did for Bruce Lee was it introduced him to American audience. And it was one of the first popular American shows, which presented an Asian style martial artist and Asian style martial arts in general. And the kicker was the show's director wanted Lee to fight in the uh, typical American style, just using like fists and punches. And Bruce Lee, being the martial artist that he was, he refused. He's like, nah, man, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. 
And he kept, uh, he's like, let me just fight in my style and it, it'll be way better. So like I had said, at first, Bruce Lee moved so fast that his movements could not be caught on film. They had to keep slowing the film down. Now, after the show was canceled in 1967, Bruce Lee actually wrote to William Dozier. You know, he thanked him. Listen, man, you started my career in show business. I, I like, I thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, in 1967, Bruce played a role in one episode of Ironside. In 1967 is when Bruce Lee's martial art of Jeet Kune Do, I, I, I stress to say martial art because even Bruce Lee is very adamant on calling it a style. He was like, you gotta have style, you gotta have your own style, and he believed Jeet Kune Do could constantly evolve. So by 67, he, he had no acting gigs, so... The, the Jeet Kune Do really took off for them, and he started the uh, Jun Fan Gung Fu Institute. And like I had said, because of his fight with Wong, Jack Man, this is really where, like I had mentioned earlier, Bruce Lee's philosophy about martial arts really came to a head because he believed that fight lasted too long and that he had failed. You know, he's like, I did not live up to my potential. The, the Wing Chun techniques did not work. So he took a lot of the traditional mar martial arts techniques that he had learned and he he thought they were too formalized. He's like, listen, man, these things are too rigid, formalized. You can't use these practically in a street fight scenario like it's not going to work. Obviously, Bruce Lee was a pretty damn big and really good street fighter, okay, for being not not a very big dude. So he wanted to develop the system. Like I said, it had an emphasis on practicality, flexibility, speed, and efficiency. You know, and he started to use like uh, methods of training. You know, he was weight training. He was running, stretching. He kept adapting like all these techniques, including fencing. Like he would, he would incorporate fencing techniques in his fighting style along with basic boxing techniques too. And like I said, he was a huge Muhammad Ali fan. So because he had studied so much of that footwork, he had also incorporated that into his fighting style as well. What he was all about was he wanted Jeet Kune Do to be the style of no style. So he didn't want like a formalized approach. So he kind of evolved his Jun Fan Gung Fu, even, you know, his own fighting style, which he found was restrictive. And he evolved it into basically a philosophy and a martial art, which is, like I said, what he called Jeet Kune Do, and which meant the way of the intercepting fist. You know, at this time, two of Lee's martial arts students were a Hollywood scriptwriter named uh, Sterling Siliphant and the actor James Coburn. So in 1969, the three worked on a script for a film called The Silent Flute, okay, and they went together on location, they went to India, and the project was not realized at the time, but the 1978 film Circle of Iron, which starred David Carradine, was based on the same plot. In 2010, producer William Maslansky was reported to have planned and received funding for a film based on the original script for The Silent Flute, which is shitty man they did him like that right so in 1969 bruce lee made a very brief appearance in uh in a film called Marlowe, and he played a hoodlum which was you know he was basically hired to intimidate a private detective or whatever who was james garner and in that same year he was credited 
as uh, the karate advisor in a movie called The Wrecking Crew. And uh, this was the fourth installment of a Matt Helm comedy spy film starring Dean Martin. Also that year, Bruce Lee acted in one episode of Here Come the Brides and Blondie. Now, 1969 ended up being a really, really bad year, 69 and 70. 1969, Bruce Lee injured his his back. It was uh, his sacral nerve, which is at the base of the spine, and he was doing uh, routine good morning exercises, and he basically just didn't warm up properly. Doctors told him that he would never practice martial arts again, or even walk normally for that matter. And he was in constant, excruciating pain. And this news really hit Bruce Lee hard. There was no way he was going to be held down. This was his love. It was his passion. And the fact that they told him, you know, dude, you probably won't even walk normally again, let alone practice martial arts. You're out of your damn mind. So what he did is he started researching his injury. And he started researching the healing process. And he starts working on getting himself better. Right about this time is where he where he really started his writing. He was in bed for almost a year recovering from this. He was reading and writing a lot just to stay active. And one of the coolest things, Adler, is that on the back of one of his business cards, he wrote, Walk On. And he would put it everywhere he could see it. He would put it on his bathroom mirror, around every corner, on every door, everywhere, so that he would see it every single day. And he did that to remind himself to keep moving forward with his recovery, no matter what anybody said, no matter who told him that he was never going to be able to go back to martial arts again. And he would always just walk on. At one point, he wrote a letter to a friend saying, but with adversity comes a blessing because a shock acts as a reminder to oneself that we must not get stale in routine. I thought that was pretty damn cool. Now, also in 1969, the Manson family murders happened. And how this affected Bruce was because, you know, this was around the area where he was from. Like, he was scared that, you know, his family might be in danger at one point. But he was also a very good friend of Sharon Tate and Jay Sebring. He uh, worked with Sharon Tate in the summer, you know, that previous summer on a, on the Wrecking Crew, which I mentioned previously. So, going into 1970... Dude, times were tough, man. He had his, he had hurt his back. He wasn't working. He had no money. They had just bought a house. They ended up losing the house. And Bruce was really traditional. Like, he didn't like the fact that his wife would have to go to work. You know, he wanted to be the provider for his family. So he's going through like all this shit, man. And he's just working to get himself better. And he does. Like, he was in a lot of pain for his back for the rest of his life, but he just kept moving forward. He kept walking on. And uh, he was, uh, in 1970, he was responsible for some fight choreography in a movie called A Walk in the Spring Rain. In 1971, he appeared in four episodes of the television series Longstreet, which was written by uh, Silifon, which is a friend of his. Lee played a character named Lee Sung, which was a martial arts instructor of the title character named Mike Longstreet. The The kick-ass thing about Longstreet is that a lot of Bruce Lee's personal philosophies on martial arts and life in general were actually written into that script. So Bruce Lee was really happy about that because that was him, you know, that was that was who he was and he was happy, really happy with that role. 
1971, right? He's not getting any real acting roles. He kind of got screwed over by Warner Brothers at one point. He just says, screw it, man. He closes up his schools and he decides to go back to Hong Kong. And he was one of the reasons he went back there was to try to help his mom immigrate into the U.S. So when he gets over there, though, he was unaware that the Green Hornet had been played in Hong Kong. He was a massive star in Hong Kong. They didn't even call it the Green Hornet over there. They called it the Cato Show. You know what I'm saying? So as soon as he gets over there, people are like, oh, my God, you're Kato. Like, you're so famous, blah, blah, blah. And the people loved him and they recognized him. And um, while he's over there, there's a he negotiated with a Shaw Brothers Studio and Golden Harvest. And he signed a film contract to star in two films, which would be produced by Golden Harvest. So in 1971, Lee played his first leading role in The Big Boss. It was a huge box office success across Asia, and it catapulted him like to absolute stardom. And then he followed that up with Fist of Fury in 1972, which broke the box office records set previously by The Big Boss. He had, at that point, finished his contract. So he negotiated a new deal with Golden Harvest. And Lee later formed his own company called Concord Production Incorporated. For his third film, which was called Way of the Dragon 1972, he was given complete control of the film's production as the writer, director, star, and choreographer of all the fight scenes. So from August to October 1972, Lee began to work on his fourth Golden Harvest film, which was called Game of Death, and he began filming some scenes, and uh, this included a fight sequence with American basketball star Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was a former student of his, who was 7 foot 2 inches tall, right? Production stopped in November of 1972 when Warner Brothers offered Bruce Lee the opportunity to star in Enter the Dragon, and it was the first film to be produced jointly by Concord, Golden Harvest, and Warner Brothers, and this was a huge step. This is what he had been striving for for a long time, right? So in 1973, filming began in Hong Kong in February, and it was completed in April of 1973. And one month into filming, another production company, which was Starcy's Motion Pictures, promoted Bruce Lee as a leading actor in Fist of Unicorn. Although he had just agreed to choreograph the fight sequences in the movie, and he did it as a favor to a longtime friend of his, right? So... Bruce Lee is like, all right, I guess I'm going to have to sue these, okay? He retained, he, like, he didn't lose his friendship with his buddy, but he's like, I got to sue these dudes, man. Like, there's, what else do I got to do? So Fist of Fury and Way of the Dragon went on to gross an estimated $100 million and $130 million worldwide, and Bruce Lee was a star. But on May 10th, 1973, Bruce Lee collapsed during a dialogue replacement session for Enter the Dragon at uh, Golden Harvest in Hong Kong. And he was suffering from seizures and headaches, and he was immediately rushed to Hong Kong Baptist Hospital, where, where doctors diagnosed him with a cerebral edema. They were able to reduce the swelling on his brain through the administration of mannitol. The headache and cerebral edema that occurred in his first collapse were later repeated on the day of his death, which is July 20th, 1973. 
Bruce Lee was in Hong Kong to have dinner with actor George Lazenby. And he uh, he was intending to make a film with this dude. And according to Lee's wife, Linda, Bruce Lee met producer Raymond Chow at 2 p.m. at home to discuss the making of the film Game of Death. They worked until 4 p.m. and then drove together to the home of Lee's colleague, Betty Ting Pai, who was a uh, Taiwanese actress. The three went over the script at Ting's home and then Chow left to attend a dinner meeting. Later, Lee complained of a headache, so Teen gave him a painkiller called Equagesic, which contained both aspirin and the tranquilizer Meprobamate. At about 7.30pm, he went to lie down for a nap. Lee did not come for dinner, so Chow came to the apartment, but he was unable to wake Bruce Lee up. A doctor was called and spent 10 minutes attempting to revive Bruce Lee before sending him by ambulance to Queen Elizabeth Hospital. Bruce Lee was declared dead on arrival at the age of 32. There were no visible external injuries, however, according to autopsy reports, Bruce Lee's brain had swollen considerably. From 1,400 to 1,575 grams, which is a 13% increase. And the autopsy did find equagesic in his system. Now, Lee's wife, Linda, returned to Seattle, Washington, and had Bruce Lee's body buried in Lakeview Cemetery in Seattle. Pallbearers at Bruce Lee's funeral on July 25, 1973, were Taki Kimura, Steve McQueen, James Coburn, Dan Inosanto, Peter Chin, and Bruce Lee's brother Robert. Around the time of uh, Bruce Lee's death, there were a lot of rumors that started up in the media, okay? People thought that he was murdered by the triads and shit like that, and uh, supposedly there was a curse on him and his family, and some of these rumors do continue to this day, okay? Donald Tare, who was a forensic scientist, uh, he was recommended by Scotland Yard. Who had, he had overseen like a thousand autopsies. He was assigned to Bruce Lee's case. His conclusion was death by misadventure, and it was caused by cerebral edema due to a reaction to compounds present in the combination medication aquagesic. There was a lot of initial uh, speculation that there was cannabis found in Bruce Lee's stomach that may have contributed to his death. The forensic scientist totally refuted that. He said no. He's like, it would be both irresponsible and irrational to say that cannabis might have triggered either the events of Bruce Lee's collapse on May 10th or his death on July 20th. Dr. R.R. Lysett who was a clinical pathologist at Queen Elizabeth Hospital, recorded at the coroner hearing that the death could not have been caused by cannabis. In 1975, at the San Diego Comic-Con convention, Bruce Lee's friend Chuck Norris also attributed his death to the reaction of the uh, combination muscle relaxant medication that he had been taking since 1969 for the uh, back injury that he had. And it was a combination between that and the medicine that was given to him for his headache on the night of his death. On October 15th, 2005, Chow stated in an interview that Lee died from an allergic reaction to the tranquilizer meprobamate, which was the main ingredient in equagesic, which uh, Chow described as an ingredient commonly used in painkillers. Like I said, his death was officially ruled death by misadventure because it, it just happened, okay? 
2017, Reels TV was doing a show called Autopsy, The Last Hours Of, and uh, forensic pathologist Dr. Michael Hunter theorized that Lee died of adrenal crisis brought on by the overuse of cortisone, which uh, Lee had been taking since his uh, injuring his back in that exercise mishap. And Hunter believes that Lee's exceptionally strong drive and ambition played a fundamental role in the martial artist's uh, ultimate death. In 2018, Matthew Polly, the author of the biography that I've been referencing, consulted with medical experts and theorized that Lee died from cerebral edema caused by overexertion and heat stroke. And heat stroke was not considered at the time because it was then a very poorly understood condition. And part of this is because Lee had his underarm sweat glands removed in late 1972. And it was because... They considered back then underarm sweat was did not look good on film, okay? So Polly theorized that this caused Lee's body to overheat while practicing in hot temperatures on May 10th and July 20th, 1973, resulting in heat stroke that in turn exasperated the cerebral edema that led to his death. Hi Adler, this is Mama Leslie. I live in Wisconsin. Um, so I'm just above you in there in Chicago. Um, I just wanted to say good morning, and I heard that you were having a rough day, and I wanted to say, from what I've heard, you're a really strong young man, and that you will get through this, and you will make it out, and you'll be even stronger than what you are now. We all love you, and we are all rooting for you. Hey, Adler. Just letting you know that we're thinking about you all the way down in Texas. Get better soon, dude. Hey, Adler. It's Julie from NC Nation, and I hope you know that we're all thinking about you, and I hope this cheers you up a little. Do you know who I am? Do you? Adler, I'm talking to you. I Justin, it's Susie, and we are. I'm sitting here on the train going to the footy game with um, my beautiful fiance Kat and our friend Rick, and hey. we're going to send a message to you so that you can send to Adler, the young fella who um, is getting treatment, because we want to wish him all the best and tell him to keep his head high, and he's a fucking little champ. All right? Love you. Good work, Adler. Keep your head high. The next station. Go hard, Adler. <laughs> We're behind ya. Hey, Adler. I hope you are doing all right. The world is crazy right now, but we're rooting for you and we are thinking about you. I'm sure your family is giving you a lot of love. I can't wait to hear the awesome episode that you picked for Justin to do. 
Can you believe the holiday season will be starting soon? What's on your Christmas list this year? We would love to know. Hang in there, buddy. Lots of love from Nevada, from the Trice family. And like I said, Bruce Lee was not just a martial artist and a fighter. He was also a philosopher and a poet. Lee was named by Time Magazine as one of the 100 most influential people of the 20th century. In April 2016, he was awarded the prestigious Founders Award at the Asian Awards. A theme park dedicated to Bruce Lee was built in uh, Guangdong. And this is a mainland Chinese only started watching Bruce Lee films in the 1980s when videos or classic movies like The Chinese Connection became available. Films like Enter the Dragon and Fist of Furies were banned because the leader at the time believed it was spiritual pollution. On January 6, 2009, it was announced that Lee's Hong Kong home uh, would be preserved and transformed into a tourist site. He has three statues, one of which is in Los Angeles, and it was unveiled on June 15, 2013 in Chinatown Central Plaza in Los Angeles, California. A statue of Bruce Lee is also in Hong Kong. It's, it's a bronze statue that stands over eight feet tall, and it was unveiled on November 27, 2005 on what would have been his 65th birthday. Also, another statue of Bruce Lee was put up in Bosnia and uh, is a five foot five bronze statue and supporters of the statue cited Lee as a unifying symbol against the ethnic divisions in the country, which had culminated in the 1992 to 1995 Bosnian war. And there's one quote, Adler, that I saved just for you, man. And this quote right here was when he hurt his back. He was laying there and like I said, he did a lot of writing, a lot of reading. He said, whether I like it or not, circumstances are thrust upon me. And being a fighter at heart, I sort of fight it in the beginning, but soon realize that what I need is not inner resistance and needless conflict. Rather, by joining forces to readjust, I need to make the best of it. Walk on and leave behind all the things that would dam up the inlet or clog the outlet of experience. And I'm just going to tell you right now, you have no idea how much of an inspiration you are, Adler, to people that you don't even know. Like for me personally, dude, you are freaking amazing. You are definitely an inspiration, man, because you wake up and you keep fighting and you keep going and you keep moving forward. We're all going to have ups and downs. You're going to have your good days and you're going to have your bad days, man. But without those bad days... There's not going to be any good ones either. You know what I'm saying? So you just got to walk on, man. You got to flow, dude. You got to keep moving forward. You got to keep going, keep fighting, keep doing what you do, man, and keep kicking ass. Just letting you know, man, there are people, you are inspiring people just by being you and moving forward every day. Now I'm going to play a couple clips from some people who did know Bruce Lee, like said, friends, family, and um, Adler. Just walk on, man. Bruce would want us to recognize that he honestly expressed himself, that he did not bow down to any sacred cows. To express oneself honestly, not lying to oneself, and to express myself honestly, not that, my friend, is very hard to do. The most important thing that he's ever done and accomplished is bringing people together. He certainly 
left a gift for the rest of us, a path to follow, footsteps to follow, so that we can start in a direction and then find our own way, which was his lesson. He didn't compromise. People really felt that presence about him and felt that influence from him, and they just want to somehow connect with him. He was definitely somebody to look up to and something to aspire to. He had such a passion for life. I strive to have as much passion. And it was amazing how he connected so many people. Not just martial artists, but people from all walks of life. One of the most amazing things from my perspective on Bruce Lee was that a man of 32 years of age could be so prolific. He created a new film genre, he created a self-help philosophy, which is absolutely uh, brilliant, and he created a new martial art, you know, which people have been carrying on since his passing. So the important thing about Bruce Lee is not how he died or that he died, it's that he lived. He would urge others to examine your life, you know, see how things fit you personally, find your strengths, take a stab at life, don't just sit back and Take it easy, you know? That's not what life is about. Do you still think of yourself Chinese, or do you ever think of yourself as North American? You know what I want to think of myself? As a human being. Because, I mean, I don't want to sound like, you know, as Confucius say, but under the sky, under the heaven, man, there is but one family. It just so happened, man, that people are different.